The world is uh, not yet finished. It's not exactly what God wants it to be. It still remains so that um, God has done a wonderful thing in raising up uh, the human race. Well, hello and welcome to the Edit Podcast. I'm Diana and I have JP here with me. We are recording live today here at St. John's Episcopal Church and we are in our office, the Sacred Commons office here. And today we're going to be talking about your sermon from last Saturday, JP. You called it The Two Become One. So why don't you give us a synopsis of what that sermon was about and tell us a little bit about this new podcast too. I'll start with the podcast and then we'll go from there. The idea was to create a window. I feel like so much of, that's the computer restarting. I feel like so much of what pastors have to do on an average, you know, Sunday, Saturday is deeply edited. It's, uh, you can never say all the things. You're welcome. Yeah, for the, I did not edit a sermon two weeks ago and it ended up stretching quite, quite a ways, but so much of what you say has to be edited down for the sake of time. And there's so many good things that you read. If you like to read, hopefully you read when you prepare a sermon in your studying, in your preparation, that you can never share all the good things. And I feel like there's also another window that I wanted to add to this, which is transparency can be a gift to so many people. And sometimes in the process of aiming for a wide spectrum, you end up sacrificing things that really should be said. And so I feel like I wanted a space where people could have access to those sorts of things, kind of unfiltered, kind of raw, actually the opposite of what most people think when they think of the term edit. So it's a little bit of a play on words. And we were talking about this earlier. You know, the word edit comes from a French word that just means to publish. And I, I, was, I really believe this, that it takes freedom to say what it is that's on your heart in a public way. And that's what we wanted to offer through this podcast is that kind of freedom to express what, what we're really trying to say or what we think the Spirit said to us on the subject while we're reflecting and contemplating on these things. So edit is just a play on words. And uh, hopefully it can be a place where we can be free to think about things and contemplate things. That's the purpose. Now, getting to last Sunday... Saturday for us. Yeah, the basic theme was I, I did what Paul, I took what Paul wrote about that really well-known text, The Two Shall Become One, where Jesus talks about this. We were, we were reading it from Mark's gospel where he says, therefore, you know, a man shall leave his father and mother, cling to his wife, cling to his wife, cleave, leave and cleave, right? The two shall become one, one flesh. And then Paul takes that text, which finds its origin in Genesis. He takes that text and he says, this is a great mystery and I'm applying it to the church. And so what I did was I, I played with that idea of how the church is divided. Mm-hmm. And so many times we hear that text float to the surface in the context of divorce mm-hmm. and in the context of sexuality. But I held it in tension with what it means to be in Christ where there is neither male nor female. So I, I just wrestled with those ideas. 
Well, I loved that you talked about it in a different way because, as you mentioned, I feel like I've always heard it said in the marriage relationship or it was always just so personal. Like, And I think, yes, Scripture is personal, but it's also very public too. And you talked about it in a way that showed the disparities that are in our local community and the disparities that exist not just here, but those photos that you showed with um, half of the photo being um, what maybe white middle-class America would see, and then the other half of the photo shows what the disparity is around the world. And those images were so powerful. And I, I feel like that helped take at least me into a space of seeing these verses in a different light mm-hmm. and seeing them in a way that broadens the the view of what oneness, what wholeness means, and then also what brokenness means. Right. And that it's not always just supposed to be applied in such a personal way, but there is yeah. um, there is a larger picture that we should be seeing. And um, that really helps stir that in me. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about um, in in your message, but that you didn't get a chance to maybe along those lines? Or is there a different direction that you'd like to go? I think both. I think I can expound upon something. But usually you're right. That text is read very personally. And it's, and it's often used to shame people who have been divorced. Mm-hmm. I wanted to flip that for a moment and say, look, if Paul connected this as a sign, as a symbol of Christ in the church, if Paul connected this... Uh, in a mystical way to the body of Christ, then I think the accusation should not, first of all, God doesn't work through shaming. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm, I'm fairly convinced on that. <laughs> uh, so the way that the church has used this text to shame people who have been divorced is actually very tragic and un- unfaithful. I also want to say that if there is any indictment, instead of making it shame on you, a private type of shaming, then let it be a judgment really on the church that is divorced from itself. Right. The, the body of Christ where we do have a hand saying to the eye or the leg or the foot saying to the arm, I have no need of you. The very thing we know we cannot say. What is happening in the church today, I think, is bound up in that. I think there actually is, if we want to talk about divorce, let's talk about how the church is divorced in many ways from its own members. Mm-hmm. And I brought up, you know, all I can talk about is Youngstown. That's all I know. And not that I can't speak to national issues or global issues, not, not that I couldn't try at least, but that was in my heart on Saturday. I wanted us to see how in Youngstown, the two are still two and how we have Christians on both sides of the line. We have Christians with wealth and affluence who live in the suburbs, who live in area codes that have school districts that are quote unquote desirable, houses where the property value is high. And then just the difference of one street, crossing over one street, and I named some streets, some avenues that those who live in Youngstown are familiar with, Midlothian, Glenwood, how you enter into a different reality where poverty skyrockets, where uh, infant mortality is sky high. In Youngstown, an infant has a greater chance of dying than in Iran. 
I mean, this is just the statistics that are peer-reviewed data. Let's, this is not just opinions here. The statistics are in. The data's in. And it's tragic. And we have Christians in inner city Youngstown, in Youngstown proper, 44507, 44506. We have these zip codes that have mortality rates going through the roof, poverty, disparity, all of that. And their neighbors are just continuing to walk down the Jericho Road, really unbothered by it all, most, who claim Christ just like they do. Mm -hmm. Christians are in both zip codes. Mm -hmm. And so what I was trying to do is show how the two are still two when, when the Spirit's work is reconciling and making the two one. So I think there's a lawnmower coming. For those of you who don't know, our office is located right next to the room where the lawn care equipment is stored. So we'll just so wait good. a minute. We, we are recording live right now. Well, not live right now. But. It is live in a sense and obviously unedited. Let's just take a minute and listen to the beautiful sounds. I should do a lawnmower meditation. So anyways, that's where, that's where my heart was yeah. this weekend. One other thing that you did so brilliantly, and you always do, is we at, the Sacred, Com- <laughs> we at the Sacred Commons are a Eucharistic community, mm-hmm. and you at the end talked about the ba- our baptism and the Eucharist. Can you explain again for everyone how uh, verses like John 6, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in them, and 1 mm-hmm. Corinthians 10, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one flesh. Yeah, the heart of that, and, and I spent a little bit of time kind of developing the theological view that I carry as, as best as I could articulate it, which is I'm of the persuasion that the work of God in the world is ongoing and that the work of God in the world is a, world is a reconciling work that God is reconciling all things, coming together, right? That, that there's a holy joining, a holy mutuality that we see rooted in the Trinity where Father, Son, and Spirit commune with one another. And this goes all the way back to God saying, let us in the beginning, and, and that this work of unity and union and communion, co-union, is what God is doing in the world. And so I started with that that this is the work of God in the world to reconcile all things, to bring uh, people together, that if there is a barrier, you better believe God is tearing those barriers down, right? Mm -hmm. A pinnacle barrier being torn the moment Jesus is crucified, that the veil was torn. and, and, And then you hear this language later on in the New Testament that he's joined these two together, these two that were in opposition to each other, he's brought them together, which is why there is no Jew nor Greek why there is no, not that they were in opposition, but those distinctions, male nor female, in Christ, they're not there. Mm -hmm. And so oneness to me is the heart of God. Oneness to me is the work of God. Oneness to me is the witness of the church about God. It's the prayer of Christ. It's everywhere. It's in everything that we read about the divine life. It's all about oneness, holy joining, holy mutuality, coming together, the two becoming one. And what I found is, to me, it seems that there are practices and sacramental ways that the church has recognized that oneness, which one would be the Eucharist, which I mentioned in, in the sermon. Paul talks about this. 
Therefore, since we have you know, one loaf, we who are many become one flesh. The same terms, mm-hmm. it's a marital term, mm-hmm. become one flesh. So the, the Eucharist is a way, sacramentally, it's a means of grace where that oneness is realized. And then what was the other one? <laughs> John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. John 6? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 10? 1 Corinthians 10 is the Eucharist, but you, you brought up... Oh, baptism, baptism. was Galatians 3. Right, right, right. So in baptism, uh, there's a, that famous text that we all know. There's one faith, one Lord, one Father, one baptism. Mm-hmm. In baptism, that's where we put on Christ. Paul talks about this. So we, we put on Christ and we are in Christ precisely through baptism. And in that baptismal reality, a new creation occurs. And, and being in Christ, there's no male nor female. So again, baptism is a sacrament of oneness and Eucharist is a sacrament of oneness. So it's always bringing that which is mm. divided, mm-hmm. separated, divorced, bringing that which is divorced back to wholeness. Mm. That's the movement of God in the world. That's, mm. to me, it's fairly clear that this is what God is doing, reconciling all things. What would that mean then to, to shift from thinking about God to thinking about our world and our reality? What would it mean then if we recognized this work of God and participated with it and prayed and asked God to let us see it and participate with this work? I think it would look like something other than what we see today. And I don't say that as like a pretentious, um, innocent judgment on the churches that I know. I recognize my own complicity in it, but I also hear the conviction in my heart that I think God's placed there, that conviction of we should be doing this work of reconciling with one another, denominationally, racially, what Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said about Sunday at 10.30, at 11 o'clock, it's still the most divided hour, which is crazy to me. But what would, what would our world look like, our communities, our neighborhoods look like if we took this seriously? Yeah. Well, this is called The Edit, and we have a few minutes left. So before we go, is there anything else that you wanted to share um, about that you maybe didn't get to touch on in your sermon. We talked about things that you did talk about, but is there anything that you didn't get to say, but that was part of your studying that you'd like to share now? Yeah, one thing, and that is, I I hit on it, but I didn't go into too much detail. I don't think what Jesus is doing in the gospel reading where he talks about, they try to trap him, right? They want to trap him and get him to speak about the very thing that got John the Baptist killed. I think that was their hope because John the Baptist was kind of hitting on that with Herod and that's what inevitably got him killed, marital status and the abuse of that and uh, his maltreatment and and even like the wrongness of some of the relational things that were going on with Herod. So that got Herod, that got John killed. And I think they were trying to trap Jesus by pulling him in, talking about what was legally permissible. And Jesus has not, he doesn't want anything to do with that mess. Instead, he wants to talk about what's divinely possible. I also think these texts, and, and what's divinely possible, by the way, is that oneness that we've just spent this podcast talking about. I also think these texts uh, speak toward protecting the vulnerable, 
in our communities. And it's clear who the vulnerable are if you look at that text in Mark. The vulnerable are women and children. And women were objects. They were not recognized as people in his culture. They were objectified. They were treated like property. And it's sad, but it's true. That's the way it was. Uh, And you had two schools, which I don't want to get too much into that, but you had two rabbinical schools. One taught that if your wife did anything that displeased you, you could divorce her easily. Boom, like that. What would happen is that wife then would then become homeless, poor more than likely, have to resort to things like uh, prostitution or some kind of, you know, situation that would really just dehumanize her even more. And this was happening, it was commonplace. And I think when Jesus teaches what he teaches about this subject, it is precisely from that perspective of protecting uh, and humanizing and recognizing the dignity of women that that were being completely uh, treated like they were disposable objects. And that evil he addressed and he protects the vulnerable there. I also think following that text, you see the verse about let the children come to me. They were the other ones that were vulnerable. And I did mention that this is a theme that is clear in the witness of all of scripture, the woman and the child from Genesis all the way to the end, you see the woman and the child. Mm -hmm. In Exodus, Jacobed, Mm -hmm. the woman and her child. In the prophets, widows, orphans. So like always and ever, God is trying to get us to to see the vulnerable uh, because he does and he hears their cry. That's what yeah. we find in scripture. The witness of scripture yeah. says he hears the cry yeah. of the orphan, of the widow and the foreigner over and over again that's mentioned. So I think instead of using these texts, I'll wrap it up with this. Instead of using these texts to pull a little aha on divorced people and to shame divorced people or to create some kind of moralism from it, which is precisely what's being done in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. I won't go there. Yeah. We don't have time. Yeah. But this text is being used as a form of moralism. Mm-hmm. I think this is really about protecting the vulnerable. I think this is about recognizing the dignity of those who have been marginalized and ostracized. I think this text is about justice. And I do not separate justice from love. So essentially what I'm saying is, you cannot talk about loving your neighbor and then ignore the call to justice. It's the same thing. Simone Weil talks about this, that charity and justice are not separated. They're not bifurcated. Uh, The gospel never does that. Loving your neighbor is justice, period. So, and we know that in the end, uh, that is that plays an eschatological role. So I'll just leave that there. And that's it. And I know you got to go. So we want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. Before I go, I, I have been able to hear a little bit of what's coming for a preview for this week's message. And I don't want to give it away, but I hope that you will join us for our live stream service on Saturday. You can find us on thesacredcommons.com. We are live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. You can join us at four o'clock for our service. And this week, I know that it's going to be good. So you don't want to miss it. And then we meet on Zoom on Wednesday night too. If you'd like to be part of the community and the conversation that we have 
every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Just um, send us a comment or let us know. Reach out via our website and let us know, and we'll make sure we get you that link as well. And we want to thank you for joining us today for our first episode of the Edit Podcast. We hope that this is something that um, that you enjoy, and uh, let us know. Give us give us some shout-outs, and let us know what you think, and we will continue to do this, and we hope that you have a great rest of your week. Peace, everybody. Peace.